0: we're in this message that John writes to the church. John, the apostle that actually spent time with Jesus, that knew him, that felt his touch, that heard his voice, that saw his face, that was there for both the the tragic cross and the beautiful resurrection. So, like, this is the John that is writing this letter to the church, and we've seen so many beautiful, like the language in it is beautiful of how much he loves these people that he's writing to. And he loves them because Christ loved him. I think as we walk through this, we need to remember this. Like all of these echoes of love, all of these echoes of family, all of these echoes of little children and like his endearing words to these people, he experienced that same thing from the master himself. He's... He's not like somebody special in his empathy, somebody special in his compassion, although he might be like, you might meet him and be like, man, that guy, he's different, he's crazy, he really, really loves. I don't know. But I do know that he experienced that compassion, that love, that tenderness from Jesus, and he reflects that to the church. He reflects it both in very tender ways and also in some harsh ways. When he begins to, to call out the, these people who are leading God's people astray, he calls them antichrist. Like, that's a, a harsh statement, but he does it out of love. And so, as we get into chapter 3 of 1 John, I know what you're thinking. That is a long chapter, and Joel can preach too long on three verses, much less 24, it's okay, we're only going we're, we're gonna to skim the surface. Okay, we're going to pull out a couple things in this passage and we're not going to do a deep dive. But that just means that there's more work for us to do as the body, that we get to go back and we get to read those things together, we get to dive in. You guys get to pull it out and bring it to me and be like, hey, Joel, did you also see in 1 John 3 this? And I get to say, man, yeah, that's awesome. Let's do that. Read in parallel the Gospel of John. I think some of you are doing it, and it's sweet because you begin to see the language, and we're going to see some of it today as we bounce back and forth to a couple different references from the Gospel of John. You see that the language that Jesus used with John is is the same language that he's using in these letters. Like every Sunday, though, um, our greatest need is that the Spirit would do a miracle in our hearts to actually cause us to believe and see truth. Because everything within us and the culture around us, to be honest, is is telling us a lie. It really is. It's feeding us constantly a lie that Satan would want to use and that that our hearts were easily, easily led astray. We want to believe these lies sometimes. And so what we need is the miracle of the Spirit So let's ask him to do that miracle today. Let's ask him to open our hearts, to give us the gift of faith. God, we thank you for the confidence that as your word is both read and proclaimed, that your spirit is also moving to stir belief, faith, trust, dependence upon you. And so, God, we would ask that you would do that today. God, I pray that in each of our lives there are people that we are sharing the good news of Jesus with and that we would pray for them, whether it's family members or neighbors or friends or coworkers or schoolmates. Lord, I pray that you would stir in our hearts the the desire to pray for them and then to speak your word to them. God, that we would walk in truth today, that we would practice these things that we believe. Thank you for the message of 1 John. Thank you for the tenderness that you have for your church that's displayed by John. Lord, may we see it today. May we believe that it's both for a corporate community, but it's also for us individually, Lord, that you love us. That each one of us today would remember that Jesus died on the cross for for my sin. That I might walk in his righteousness and in his holiness. That I might actually be able to love today. God, would you do that in us? For your glory and our good. In Jesus' name, amen. We've got a a couple things that we're going to look at. The first one is... In verses 1 through 10, John really hammers home this idea of practice. This idea of practicing one of two things. You're either practicing righteousness or you're practicing sin. Really, those are the only two things that we get to practice. And we're always doing something. We're never neutral. We're never not doing anything. We're practicing. And so uh, I love sports. I love Alan Iverson. He had a rant that just went viral where he says, practice. So they come to, this interviewer is coming to him after they are out of the season, their season's over, and they hear that he had missed some practices, and he comes and he says, practice? Are we talking about practice? Practice? And he just goes on. Like, that, that's just one very short eight seconds, but it's over a minute long about practice, and he just keeps saying the same thing over and over. And today, we are actually talking about practice. And so we're going to press in and see what that means. What does that look like in our lives? He begins in verse 1 talking about the love that we have received from the Father. And He's really hammered this home for the first two chapters. Just like any of the epistles, they begin with what is true? What is true? Who is God and what has He done? And so we've already seen That God is love and he has poured out his love into us. See what kind of love the Father has given us that we should be called children of God. None of us in and of ourselves deserve the adoption that we have received to be children of God. All of us have sin. We've said it over and over. And it it can become kind of complacent. It can become something that we just say or something that we just hear. But when we compare ourselves to the holiness of God, the reality is that we lack we are in need, we are in want, we do not measure up. But even so, God has done something about that. He has made a way for us to be adopted and called children of God, and so we are, John says. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know Him. Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will, what we will be has not yet appeared, but, we'll, but we know that when He appears, we shall be like Him, because we shall see Him as He is. There's a lot of already and not yet in that passage. There's, there's a, a likeness that we have to Christ, which actually causes us to, to um, be rejected by the world because the world also rejected him. But there's also like a, a not fully knowing him. But we know that when He appears, we shall be like Him, because we shall see Him as He is. So there's this desire that we have for what has not actually taken place yet. But John alludes to it. There's a, there's, we're going to be like Him in all things. And everyone who thus hopes in Him purifies himself as he is pure. So this is the active belief. I am not already what I'm called to be, but God is working in me to make me pure. God is working in me to make him like himself. We, we talk about this. We say, God, would you conform and transform me into your image? That's our desire. John's saying the same thing, that uh, that's our hope, is that we would be purified and look like Jesus. And then he gets into practice. Verse 4, everyone who makes a practice of sinning also practices lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. You know that he appeared in order to take away sins and in him there is no sin. There's this constant practice and he's saying, listen, you're either practicing lawlessness or you're practicing righteousness, which he says in verse 7, "...little children, let no one deceive you. Whoever practices righteousness is righteous as he is righteous. Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil, for the devil has been sinning from the beginning." So he's saying, listen, if you are a child of God, you you should be practicing righteousness. If you are a child of the devil, if you are a sinner, then you practice sinning. Now, when we talk about practice, we don't necessarily mean um, that if you're practicing righteousness, you will not have any sin in you. Okay, That's not what we're saying. But if you're practicing a sport, right, Or if you're practicing a discipline, you're trying to move towards something. And we believe that if Christ has called us and and changed our hearts, then now we have this desire to actually practice looking like Him, to actually move toward Him, to desire Him. Where before, when we were in our sin, we were practicing serving ourselves, Practicing, trying to make ourselves satisfied with the things that we could pursue. And so there's this difference here. And and what he's battling is there's a a belief that you could rest in the work of Christ and not pursue Him. 1 John is written to correct some of the things that were being believed within the church and taught within the church, that we're wrong. Do we think that? Do we sometimes think that, well, if God's grace is so sufficient, then I don't need to to walk in righteousness. I don't need to pursue Him. As soon as we ask that question, as soon as we make that argument, there's something in our hearts that we have to check and say, does that sound like a child who has been saved by grace? who understands the magnitude of my sin against God and how much he has covered it sending his own son to die in my place or is that me trying to justify doing what i want to do and if it's me trying to justify doing what i want to do have i been have i have i really understood what Christ has done and that's what john's saying if you understand what Christ has done if you understand that you are called a child of God and you did nothing to deserve it and you have been grafted into this family, you're going to walk in righteousness. There's going to be this desire in you. We talked about it on Wednesday. If God has done something, and this is where we, this is where we can really get caught up in a passage like this, where we can say, I just need to practice more. I just need to do better. The reality is that the only reason that I would practice is because God has changed my heart. He did the first thing. He saved me. He, he took me out of the miry clay and he set my feet upon the rock and he saved me. He washed me with his blood. His death on the cross is sufficient for my sin and now I'm given the opportunity to walk in his righteousness. Now I get to practice his righteousness. His righteousness. But the practicing His righteousness is not what saves us. It's the result of our salvation. We have to to remember that because there's there's a subtle lie that creeps in that we think because I'm doing the right things, God loves me. No, God loved you before you did any of the right things. God loved you when you were rebellious, when you said on my own I can live. I don't need you. He saved you and changed your heart so that today you can say, man, God, you've changed me. And you've given me your word and you've given me your law and you've given me right ways to be in relationship with people and I get to walk in them today because of what you've done. Thank you, God. I'm going to fail and I'm going to mess it up, but thank you, God, that I get to pursue this kind of relationship, this kind of righteousness, practice it. This practicing is key. I love what Matt said last week. Our knowledge of God and His word leads to a love that leads to a life of obedience. This this practicing is actual obedience, walking out of obedience to what God has called us to and who he said he is and who he's called us to be. The other thing that we see in this passage and what we saw a lot in chapter 2 is the word abide. Abide, the Greek word is meno and it means to abide or to rest in or to live out of or to live in. He uses it 23 times in chapters 2, 3, and 4. 23 times he uses the word abide, meno. But he didn't come up with that. This is what Christ had told him. If you go back and you read John chapter 15, 16, and 17, you see the same thing. Jesus calls his disciples to abide in him, to rest in him, to rest in his righteousness, and then to live out of that. So this practicing of righteousness, this practicing of grace, this practicing of love that we're going to see in the rest of the chapter is actually what it looks like to abide in Christ. It's the tangible evidence that we are in Christ. It's the display, the proof, the assurance that we have that actually I'm in Christ today because I see the way that he's changed me so that I can love my brother, so that I can walk and practice righteousness. Spurgeon says there's a radical distinction between the gracious and the graceless. And this comes out of their works. The one works the works of God and the other the works of the devil. You can only serve one master. And your life should look like a dedication to that master. It should have the the influence of the master in it. It should be a reflection. Paul says we're ambassadors of Christ. We reflect Christ to the world. Are we living like that? Do you practice righteousness? And again, that practicing righteousness is not, are you always righteous? No, it's, are you desiring to move toward righteousness? Are you desiring to live in this way because of the work that Jesus has done? Out of gratitude for the grace that you've received, are you longing to live an obedient life? How do we do this? We do it because of Jesus. Verse 8, there's a, The end of verse 8, there's this powerful statement. John writes, The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. What we see as normal, everyday life is actually this, this cosmic battle, this thing that's going on where God is bringing life out of death. Where God, in His Son... Is destroying the work of the devil, but we don't we don't see it as that. We just see it as like self discipline, or we see it as um, you know better habits. But the reality is, if you have better habits, it is because Jesus has destroyed the work of the devil and is putting those habits in you, putting that love in you, putting that desire in you. That's crazy. It's crazy that you and I get to participate in this cosmic thing that's going on where God is creating all things new and he's beginning with his people. And we get to see it each day. Like we get to see God changing our hearts. We get to see it not only in ourselves but in each other. We need to to rejoice more in that. When we see God doing something in another person's life, we just need to rejoice. We need to say, man, I see what God's doing in you, and it's good, and it's sweet. It's not you, so don't get too excited. It's Jesus, and I'm ex- we can both be excited about that. We can both be excited about what God is doing. Parents, I know I need to be more excited about that in my children, and then give God glory in that. Rather than making demands myself, and then thinking that it's my good parenting that's producing that. No, if there's anything good in me, in my household, and what's, what's going on in this church, right? It's because Jesus is doing it. He is destroying the works of the devil. This is, this is from the very beginning the hope that God's people had was that God would do something about Satan and about sin. Genesis 3.15, right? After the fall, God promises, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring, he's speaking to the serpent, he shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. He's promised that there would be something done about Satan. David's remembering this, and he's crying out to God in Psalm fifty seven, one through three, be merciful to me, O God, be merciful to me, for you in my soul, for in you my soul takes refuge. In the shadow of your wings I take refuge till the storms of destruction pass by. I cry out to God most high, to God who fulfills his purpose for me. He will send from heaven and save me. He will put to shame him who tramples on me. Selah, God will send out his steadfast love and his faithfulness. This desire that, that God would come and destroy the work of Satan, destroy the work of the enemy, has been throughout Scripture and then Jesus comes and he does this work on the cross that would destroy the effects of sin that would destroy Satan himself, but it's an already not yet. Like we're actually going to see it in its fullness when Jesus comes again, but right now we have this picture. Paul writes in 2 Timothy, and which has now been manifested through the appearing of our Savior Christ Jesus, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. How has This happened, it happened because Jesus came, humbled himself, born fully human, but fully God at the same time, which, that's a hypostatic union that we just, we have a hard time with. Like, we can't understand it, it's beyond some of our ability, because it's, it's a God thing, it's what he's doing, but we do trust that it's true, because we read it throughout scripture, Jesus, the Savior, Christ, has come, and he abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. Jesus came, was born, lived a perfect, righteous life. The desire that you and I have to walk in righteousness and the little glimpses that we see that we're like, man, that's beautiful. Thank you, God. That was seen in Jesus every day because he walked perfect righteousness. You want to see somebody who who loved perfectly? You see Jesus. You want to see right relationships? You see the relationship that Jesus had with the people around Him. You want to see what perfect obedience to the law and to the Father looks like? You watch it in Jesus. And so Jesus lived that way. And He went to the cross and He suffered death. But He didn't deserve to die. You and I deserve death because of our sin. Jesus did not because He had no sin. But Scripture says that He made Him who knew no sin to be sin for us, like to pay for the sin for us. So Jesus went to the cross, but not only did he die, he rose again three days later to defeat sin and death. Verse 8, the reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. He did that through his life, his death, his resurrection. Then he ascended into heaven and continues to intercede for us. As we saw at the beginning of chapter 2, my little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. Love that. We think Jesus Christ, and it's just like his first and last name. The reality is Jesus was his name. Christ was who he was. He was the anointed one. He was the Messiah. But then John says, Jesus Christ the righteous, the one who's worked perfect righteousness. And what does that look like for us? What's the the fruit of this gospel work? Is that we would be born again. Verse 9, no one born of God makes a practice of sinning, for God's seed abides in him, and he cannot keep on sinning because he has been born of God. By this it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. Okay? Now we're beginning to see that this righteousness has a couple different aspects to it. One of the aspects of the righteousness that you and I are are born into, like we are reborn. We moved from death into life. That's where the term born again comes from. It's, It's that we had to die and we had to be born again into life. So the life looks like righteousness, but it also looks like loving your brother. So what has God done? He's done everything that we need to have life, to have righteousness, and to be able to truly love one another. Verses 11 through 24 talk about how we're supposed to love each other. I want to jump to verse 16 for the sake of time again. The work isn't done here. We get to go back and we get to read 1 John and we get to dive in this week bring those things to community group on Wednesday and say, hey, here's what else I've seen. Here's one of the questions that I have. And we get to do this work together. 1 John 3.16 says this, By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. So walk in righteousness. Practice righteousness. What does that practice look like? It looks like practicing loving your neighbor. It looks like practicing laying down your life for those around you. How do, what does that look like? Well, maybe it looks like doing the dishes when you really don't want to do the dishes like maybe it's not the 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 bad guy who's got the girl uh on the train track and she's tied up and then the hero comes in and he swoops in and rescues her and saves her out of the train maybe it's not maybe it doesn't look like that where the where you push the guy out of the way and then the subway hits you like that would be really heroic dying for your neighbor and maybe the guy calls us to that i don't know i I'm not speaking that over anybody. I'm just saying that, like, maybe it's not as heroic as we think in our head. Maybe it looks like the daily, moment by moment, giving up what I want for the sake of another. Is that what it looks like in our marriages? The marriage that's supposed to be this, um, this very tangible evidence of what, it, you know, this reflection of God's love for the church? Is that, I mean, we start asking those questions, that we begin to realize, no, I need a Savior. Today, I need a Savior. Because I haven't given up. I haven't laid down my life for my neighbor. I haven't laid down my life, not just for my neighbor, but I haven't laid it down for my children that, I, that are like seed of my seed. Like they're mine and I love them. And, and instead, I, I hold on to my comfort and my control and the things that I want. I don't lay down my life for them. And so there's this conviction, but at the same time, there's moments where I do lay down my life for them. There's moments where I do the dishes. Not many. Don't ask Gwen, she'll tell you. But there are moments, right, where we do actually love our neighbor and our children and our families and even our enemies. And that's produced because we are practicing the righteousness that has been purchased for us by the Son of God that destroyed the works of the devil. And he's calling us to walk in his works, in his righteousness. And so if we see any of that, it should lead to this great rejoicing that God is doing what only God can do. And he's doing it in our lives. You see, finally, at the end of 1 John 3, John reminds the church of the commandment. He says in in 3.23, and this is the commandment, that we believe in the name of His Son, Jesus Christ, and love one another just as He has commanded us. I think John puts it in that order for a reason. He knows that the only way you and I will actually love is because of the work of Jesus, that we believe that He's the Son of God. We believe that He's come and He's laid down His life for me, and so now because I have everything I need in Christ, I can give everything else away. That's crazy. That's powerful. The idea that I have everything that I need in Christ, and so I don't need to hold on to anything else. And so I can give it away freely. 17, but if anyone has the world's goods... And sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him. How does God's love abide in him? We settle for a mediocre Christianity, constantly, like we're we think that it's okay because we go to church on Sundays and and we go to community group on Wednesdays, and maybe we gather for a breakfast, or maybe we we share with our neighbors sometime, and we think. That's that's enough. That's good. John's reminding him, listen, if you have been affected by the love of Christ, it's going to play out in everything that you are. There will be nothing that could be asked of you that you couldn't do to love your neighbor because you've received such great love as a child of God. See what kind of love the Father has given in us that we should be called children of God. We've been given everything. We get to unpack that for the rest of eternity. What does that mean that I've been called a child of God? We're going to see glimpses of it now. We're going to have a piece of it now. But one day we're going to see it in its fullness when we see Jesus and we're like, that's the one that I've served my whole life that I've longed for. And I see him and he's way more beautiful than I ever imagined. And I have been grafted into the family that gets to know him and love him. And we get to see parts of that now. That we have been called children of God. If that's true then why would I want to hold on to anything else? Why would anything else rival that place? And yet it does. Like, there's things that I'm asked of that I say, no, I can't can't give that up. I can't give that money. I've got to save up. Or I I can't give that time because I don't have enough and I really need to rest. And I'm not saying that there aren't good habits, okay? There are good habits of, of exerting yourself and then resting. But there's also very me-oriented, I can't do that. Or I don't want to do that. And so many of those things are because I've forgotten that in Jesus I have everything that I need. I'm more than enough. I'm a child of the living God with an inheritance that's imperishable, that nobody can take away from me that I get to experience the power of the Spirit today as He works in my life, what else do I need that I have to fight people for and hold on and try to gather up the things of this world and keep them close? And Jesus says, that. listen, if you have a neighbor in need and you you can't give to them, how how do you know that... You're loved by God. Like, like there's some disconnect there. Some disconnect. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. Man, that's powerful. That God is producing in us the the correct heart the right motives and the right deeds that we would actually give those things to people in need and and I've seen it like I've seen it in you guys and it's praiseworthy that God would work that in us it's a miracle because it means that we have received the love of God and we are sharing it with others We can't, like that's crazy that we can't, that we're actually doing this. That he's using us as his hands and feet to meet needs and to love him and love others. This is the commandment that we believe in the name of his son Jesus Christ and love one another just as he commanded. So this is both the commandment, but then it's also the assurance that we have. He says, whoever keeps these commandments abides in God. If there's any production of love and selflessness and sacrifice in any of our lives, it points to the fact that we are in God's love. We're abiding in His love. And He's abiding in us and God in Him. And by this we know that He abides in us by the Spirit whom He has given us. There's hope today, there's encouragement, and there's call. There's call to continue to walk in this righteousness, to continue to love our neighbors, to continue to look for ways to live selflessly, to lay down what we want and what we desire for those around us. And there's hope because he has laid down what he wanted. He's laid down his life for us so that we can walk in it. And so this morning we're going to take communion in a couple minutes and we're going to remember how Christ laid down his life for us. And and his life wasn't just not doing what he wants, but actually doing what we want. No, his life was he gave himself, his body was broken, his blood was poured out, and he washes us clean. We already sang that. He cleanses us, sprinkles us with his blood. That's how Christ has done it, and then he's put that same love in us, that we get to practice it, that we get to live this way. And so, we need to believe that what Jesus has done is true. Because if we're not believing that, and we're acting, working out of our own flesh, and I Talked to Matt earlier this week and said, man, I just feel like I'm operating out of my own flesh, out of my own strength so often these days. And I don't want to do that. I want to rest in what Christ has done, operate out of a, out of a position of abiding there, resting there, and then work out of that. But it does mean that we get to practice. Like, we don't just... I was Again, John is writing to the church because there's this false teaching that said, hey, you're saved and you're good. You don't have to do anything else. It's true. You don't have to do anything else, but if you're really saved, you get to do these other things. You get to walk in the righteousness of Christ. You get to love your brother. You get to see that in that love of your neighbor, Christ is glorified. He is made much of. And so this morning, that's what we we're begging God to do. God, give us the gift of faith that we would believe that that your son has actually come and destroyed the works of Satan. Destroyed the works of the devil. And he's come and given us the ability to walk in his righteousness. To love. To lay down our lives for one another. John four twenty three and 24. But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit and those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. 1 John 3.18 said, Little children, let us not love in word and, or talk, but in deed and in truth. That only happens because the spirit of God is dwelling inside of us, working it in our lives. John is writing this because he's received these words from Jesus. He knows that any love that he has has been given to him. John 15, 9 through 14. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. Just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in His love. He's not keeping the commandments and so He's being loved. He's keeping the commandments because He's in a love relationship with the Father. It's out of a place of identity that we can actually do and be and walk he says, these things I have spoken to you that your joy may be, that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. Isn't that the desire of our heart this morning? To be the friends of Jesus? To be in relationship with Jesus? To respond to his love for us with love for him and love for each other? That's the greatest testimony that you and I can have is when we go out and we get to be the hands and feet of Christ. We get to respond to His great love for us with a love for Him, with eyes open to see the hurting and the broken and the used, and we get to go and meet those needs, not to make us feel better about ourselves, but to worship and love our God. I pray that God would do that in us today, that that we would long to be His friend, that we would long to walk in His commandments, that we would long to practice righteousness, to love our neighbors because he's loved us so well. Amen? God, would you do that in us? This doesn't happen because we read enough books or read enough Bible. It doesn't even happen because we, we pray enough prayers. It happens because your spirit is doing a miraculous work in us. To believe the truth of the gospel, the finished work of Christ, that you have defeated the works of the devil, that you have put in us your righteousness, that you have loved us completely. And out of gratitude for that love, out of gratitude for that finished work, out of gratitude for your grace to us, we get to go and live lives of contribution, lives of generosity. Lives where we freely give because we have freely received. So, Lord, do that in us today. Not so that the people of Cross Point Coast would be this great people, but so that the people of Cross Point Coast would point to a great God, a miraculous Savior, that we would be called children of God. Help us to operate out of our identity as child of God today. Thank you that we get to have um, a picnic in the park today. Lord, may may we love each other well there. May we love our neighbors that come into the park too. God, would you be glorified in our lives today? We ask this in your name. Amen.